if I ask somebody what your purpose is, you know, I get this, I have no idea. So I don't start there because it's too hard. It's too overwhelming. What I start with, and this is part of the Delta theorem, is I start with three, three P's. The first P is priorities. The second P is principles. And the third P is passion. So what I say to you is I say, you know, Constantine, tell me, what are your priorities? I don't know. Well, are you married? Yes. Do you have a job? Yes. Do you have kids? Yes. Do you, you know, I can tease out from you what the things are most important. That's what priorities are. They're not prioritization. They're not task list things. There are those things that you find in your life stage that are most important. Okay, so we can establish those things. Then I say to you, tell me what you stand for. What are the principles by which you absolutely stand for? It could be something as simple as, you know, I don't lie. I don't cheat. You know, these kinds of things. But establishing those principles upon which you stand are very important. And then finally, if I say to you, tell me what you just love to do. What is makes your hair on fire? And you'll say, well, I, I love to, you know, whatever the case is. I don't know. If you look at those three Ps, number one, they're more accessible to us. And number two, when you tie them all together, what happens is they become the foundation for your purpose. Because if you start to look at what your priorities, your principles, and your passion are, you can then start to see what your purpose likely can be. Welcome to today's episode of Unleash Thyself. I am your host, Constantine Moron. And today's guest is Brad McPiong, founder of RSG and author of The Delta Theorem, an innovative framework for being fully alive and truly wealthy. His why inspire aliveness. So join us today as we'll talk about living with purpose on purpose, what it means and why that's going to make you come fully alive. We're going to discuss about leadership. We're going to look at the life of Brad and everything that he's learned along the way with working with some of the wealthiest people in the world. We'll discuss purpose, your why, and why it's important to dive deep in it. And of course, we'll look at his book, The Delta Theorem, which is now a number one bestseller on Amazon. And of course, we'll look at all parts of it, like the three Ps, priorities, principles, passions, but also the effort required and learning from your failures to really uncover your true purpose. So prepare yourself for an unforgettable conversation that's sure to leave a lasting impression. Welcome back to Unleash Thyself, the podcast that inspires and empowers you to achieve your goals. I am thrilled to welcome Brad McPion to the show. Brad, we can't wait to hear more about the experiences and insights that have led you to where you are today. So Brad, Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Constantine. I'm really happy to be here with you. Oh, likewise. I'm so happy to have you on the show and to talk to you about all the amazing things you want to share with the audience and, of course, with myself and talk a bit about your book and that we see in the background there. So let's start with where you would say your journey really started to put you on a path to become who you are today. Yeah, boy, that's a big question, isn't it? You know, I grew up here in Southern California. I'm still a, a, a Los Angeles native, I live in a suburb of Los Angeles. And, 
you know, I grew up in a, a middle-class neighborhood here in Los Angeles. And, I, you know, one of the first tests I ever failed as a kid, I think it'll give you a good, good uh, indication of what my background was like. The first test I ever failed as a kid was name the four seasons. And I said, football, basketball, baseball, and hockey in my, in my household, winter, spring, summer, or fall were not seasons. The only seasons yeah. I knew were, were sports seasons. So, you know, that's a, that's a little bit of a background, you know, my growing up, a lot of athletics, a lot of competition, you know, and, and, and that led, you know, to a great extent of, of later years and not just the athletic side of stuff, but, but just, you know, competing both, both in the marketplace as well as just individually and, and what have you. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. So how did your childhood lead you to essentially come alive with purpose on purpose and to teach others to do the same? Yeah. You know, as I said, I grew up in a, in a middle-class, you know, kind of environment. My father was a city of Los Angeles street surveyor and worked for the city for, you know, 30 plus years. And, you know, he was, he was around to be coach, you know, coaching me and, and, you know, my mom was a housemaker and, and just growing up, you know, kind of, I, I always found myself in positions, especially on some of the teams I was on as something of a leader, you know, maybe it was a captain of the team or, or, or that, you know, aspect of stuff. And, and I always found myself gravitating towards, you know, encouraging others, whether it be, you know, on a team or in a classroom or what have you. And I think that when you're talking about coming alive with purpose on purpose, or I'm talking about that, you know, a lot of that has to do with the encouragement of others, you know, kind of trying to find the best in, in others and, and in yourself too, but trying to really draw people out and, and lead teams and that kind of stuff. So, you know, that's where a great component of, of my upbringing led to, you know, the writing of the book, although, you know, I would never have thought that as a kid, um, but certainly looking back over all these years, I can see where the, the, the foundation was. The foundation was absolutely. And when was the first time you realized you were living with purpose on purpose? Like, did it ever dawn on your way to say, you know what, I'm doing this and I can help others do as well? Yeah, I would say that more purposefully and intentionally started to take place in my career settings. You know, when I found myself leading teams or or being a part of teams mm-hmm. and, and seeing some of the, I don't know, just, just the, the, the components of the work life where, you know, I was, I was certainly in my executive years, you know, that was a significant component of trying to inspire and lead others and what have you. I mean, you know, the background for me is that you know, I, I started out uh, in my career in a very large international professional services firm, you know, very prestigious firm. But I was I, I literally had one suit to my name, you know, when I went in to, to start with them. And, you know, I bought four shirts and five ties and two pairs of shoes and 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 had one suit and I would just change my, my shirt and ties you know, and, and as the case was, cause I, I just didn't grow up with the means, uh, financial means, of course, grew into that. But, you know, what I found myself at this firm was gravitating towards this area of servicing very, very high net worth individuals. And that's where, you know, I, I learned a lot from these folks. They were highly successful people. And, you know, I, I, 
came to be a confidant for them and, and learn things inside of my professional career where it helped in this come alive, you know, and writing of the book. Oh, beautiful. So it sounds like you had the right mentors all along and you were able to learn a lot. So then you can, of course, give back to others. So let me ask you this. I mean, I have my own take on what coming alive with purpose on purpose means, but how do you define that? What does it mean to you and the people you help? Yeah, maybe start with a with a quote that was very influential for me. It was by a gentleman by the name of Howard Thurman. And what Howard Thurman said was, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and do that. Because what the world needs is more people who are fully alive. So when I talk about, you know, on purpose, with purpose, the, a significant component of that is this concept of coming alive. You know, and it's it's beyond passion, which is a word that's thrown out a lot, you know, and 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 for good reason. I mean, it's important, but but you know, this notion of coming alive is is that you are finding something that is 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 truly you, is uniquely you. And and that's where you know the with purpose on purpose is all tied in with that particular, you know, component of stuff. So you know, finding yourself and, 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 and finding what it is that you love to do and, and you're passionate about and, and fits in with your priorities and your principles. You know, that's what I, I talk about when I'm talking about with purpose on purpose. That's what I thought as well. It lines up with what I'm thinking as well. It's, it's beautiful as well. So let me ask you this. In your, you said you had the executive years, you're a leader most of your life. And teaching or mentoring people on topics like this as a leader, it's not something that's common in corporate America, at least not that I've seen. How did you find that balance where you are a leader in, a, in corporate America, but you're teaching things or, or running teams in a way that's not necessarily standard or accepted in some environments? Did you find a lot of conflicts there? No, I, I, I really didn't. You know, I, I, I think that one of the critical things is that you know, you have to earn the right to be heard. You know, if I just went in and early in my career and, and, and maybe I thought about how I could lead people with purpose on purpose, I honestly, I didn't have that concept early on in my career. It would have been inappropriate, right? I mean, I didn't earn the right to be heard, but once I had established myself inside of my career, developed relationships with people, you know, had positions of leadership where I could then, you know, tap into things that people want it. Listen, it, it's not that you run into, I never ran into, you know, pushback from this standpoint. What I mostly found was that you have to take chances with your leadership style. You know, you, you, you have to lean into and risk that you think that that statement, don't ask what the world needs, ask what makes you come alive and do that resonates with people. And what I have found is that it does. People want to be encouraged inside of purpose because they know that without purpose, it seems meaningless. And so leaning into that and then adapting that message for the appropriate circumstances in my career, leading people was really where I found, you know, was, was great acceptance and, and that kind of thing. Yeah, that's that's a, an amazing answer there. Thank you, Brad. So let me ask you this then. If, and I'm sure this happened maybe more than once, if people were resistance, resistant to this message, to what you're trying to 
do and lead as an lead by example. Yeah. What were some of the reasons people were resistant to believe in that, you know, there's another way of doing this. You can live on purpose and still work in whatever job they were doing. Yeah, you know, I, I'll, I'll give you the analogy of, of this. When I was with this professional services firm, part of the work that I first started out with was doing work that I would have to refer to the what was called the prior year's work papers. And what that meant was is that I would go in and do some work and I would look at the way things were done previously, the prior year. And I would just you know, you, you had the ability to just refer to, well, that's the way it's been done. Right. And so this natural tendency, I think of all of us to refer back to, you know, the way that things have always been done is such a prevalent kind of condition that's out there. And it takes, like I said, risk and the willingness to say, well, wait a minute, maybe it shouldn't be that way. I mean, certainly in our economy these days where disruptive kind of technologies are coming along and disruptors are coming along, you know, looking at prior year work papers just doesn't fit anymore. So I had the mindset of certainly looking at the way things were done in the past was important, but did it actually fit with where we were today? And what I found was that People resonate with this concept of help me to come alive, help me to find my purpose. And so that's what I leaned into throughout my career. Oh, that's amazing. And I smile as well because it resonates 100% with me. It wasn't long ago when I really sat down and, and looked at my own why and my own purpose and literally came alive through finding that, through aligning more with that and applying it to both my personal life and my professional life. And I could yeah. only wish I had the leader like yourself earlier in my career so I could get there a bit faster, perhaps. Yeah, no, listen, I, I love that. You know, you've shared a little bit of your story with me and, and, and you know, you know now that, you know, when you have a very powerful why and you understand that very powerful why, it gets you through a lot of hows and it gets through you through a lot of what's, right? And so- yeah, it's it's a very important kind of concept. Listen, it's hard though. It's really, really hard. When I coach people now, you know, if I start with this concept of like, you know, Constantine, tell me what your purpose is. You know what you're likely to do? You're likely to look at me with deer and headlights. Like, I have no idea. I don't know. Now you do because you actually have gone through that. But most people are looking at me with like, I have no idea. And by the way, if I tell you what it is, does that mean that it can never change for as long as I live? I don't like the concept of no optionality inside a purpose. So people shy away from exploring what purpose is. And yet you and I both can attest to the power of understanding what a powerful why is all about. And so, you know, it's just worth it. It's worth the time to do these kinds of things. I love that. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. It's not easy. It takes a bit of uh, time and looking inwards and finding a lot of things about yourself. You may be hiding away or not giving enough light. But I really liked what you said around the fact that, again, most people don't know this, but even if they do, they might be too rigid in it. And I, I, I fell in the same trap too. 
when I finally understood my why and my purpose, I tried to put a box around it and say, this is it. Yeah. Nothing else outside that it matters. It's just this. And then it took me a few months of continuing to work to realize, wait a second, that's just a piece of it. Yeah. I don't know what the full purpose is yet because that's the beauty of life. It's going to keep evolving as yeah. I grow, as I learn. So let's see, am I going in the right direction? And when I opened my mind up to that, it was like, ooh, it was like, how could I think that a box would be appropriate for this? Right. When you put expectations on something and then you blind yourself from all the other opportunities around. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's great. It's great. Listen, you know, I, we've mentioned my book, The Delta Theorem. That's the title of the book, uh, you know, and it, it sounds, it could sound kind of daunting. Delta Theorem. Like, wow, what is that? Is it some yeah. kind of math equation and, and what have you? And the answer is that actually it is a math equation. At least it looks like a math equation. And it looks like that math equation for a reason, which we can get into, you know, as we discuss it. But one of the things that's a little bit of a shtick around the title is that while it looks like a formula in on paper, life is not formulaic like you just described. There is no formula because each one of us lives a very unique situation. I like to say oftentimes that you know, the Delta theorem is black and white, but life is lived in color. And it's very important that we live our lives in color. But having a framework to help us with that is, you know, why I wrote the book in the first place. And from the research I've done and the talk we've had before, right, this, this book coming in over, what, 30 years of your experience, exactly doing this with people in various corporations, as well as in your private practice. Yes. But what made you write the book in the end? Like, What made you say, you know what, now is the time to write this and set up this framework for people? Yeah, a, a few things kind of both professionally as well as personally converged for me. Okay, so again, I, I talked about my professional life. I, I served and have served very, very wealthy people. I mean, you know, they talk about one percenters of the population. They have all kinds of, you know, wealth. I served people that were the less than one percenters, truly. And I say that with all humility. I mean, I, I just found myself in a situation where I was, was working with very, very wealthy people. One of the things that I found oftentimes with the folks was that it wasn't just the financial wealth that they had questions about. In fact, wealth is an important kind of like concept here. It's like we can think of wealth as just the money or financially, but then why were my clients asking me questions like, wait, what is the wealth going to do to my kids? Or how is it impacting my relationships with family? Or why do I feel like I don't have a lot of time? Or why is my health not that great? Or how can I increase that? All those things, relationships, mental, physical time, those are all components of wealth as well, right? And so what I found was that in working with clients, the underpinning thing inside of all that was a question about, really? I mean, like, there's got to be more inside of these kinds of things. And it wasn't more money because they had enough money. Then in my personal life, Listen, I, I have a very large story. At least it feels like a large story, just like you do, I'm sure. I am married. I've been married for over 30 years. I have a 25-year-old daughter. 
I own a home. I have a car. I have a dog. I, you know, work out and these kinds of things. Those are all very large story kind of things in my life. But in the whole scheme of things, they feel kind of small story when you are stuck on a freeway in traffic and you're thinking to yourself, like I did for many years, really, this is it? Like this is all there is, right? So this convergence between clients that had all kinds of wealth financially, myself who was doing well, but didn't have that kind of wealth and still felt that same kind of like, there's got to be something more. I want to feel alive. I want to feel you know, that, that I'm making a difference. You know, that's what the genesis and the evolution of the Delta theorem was all about, you know, looking at those things and, and then figuring out, well, maybe there is a way to kind of explore these things. And so that's what I did. Yeah. I love that. Very inspirational as well. And it reminds me of something I started to think about a lot more in the last couple of years, this idea that while we're all individuals on our own paths, a lot of the problems we face in life are very similar between us. Yes. You just gave a beautiful example between very wealthy people and then everyone on the spectrum. Yes. Right? Yourself included. Yes. And once I made the realization that I'm not alone, that meant I now can reach out to people that are on a similar path with me or facing similar struggles. And we can learn together. We can help each other out. That's right. And it sounds like your book and everything you're doing, it does exactly that. It's reminding people, hey, you're not alone. Here's a framework in this case. Yes. How you can apply this to your life based on what others have done and have found success. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I mean, look, you know, any kind of book like mine has as as components of it that is very individualized. I mean, you know, it's 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 walking through a framework for your life, but the 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 end of the book, if you will, is about making a difference, having an impact, which by definition is you know, in multiples, it's, it's not just you, it's working together with people, you know, and what have you. I, I have a, a, a component in there. It's called the butterfly effect. Are you, the butterfly effect looks like this. It is, you know, the analogy that says if a butterfly flaps its wings and it creates a draft as small as that is, that that draft of wind could pick up other wind and then lead to larger amounts of wind that as it flows across, you know, let's say it starts in South Africa and as it flows across the Atlantic ocean, that by the time that wind hits the Caribbean, it can change or have an impact on the weather system inside of, you know, the Caribbean. Okay. So it's the, it's the concept that a very, very small impact can have a massive impact you know, on other areas. And I think that that's absolutely true in our lives, right? I mean, you know, we can do something that's just very small. We could pick up a nail on the side of the road that doesn't puncture somebody's tire. And if it had punctured that tire, you know, maybe that person got in an accident or maybe they didn't make it to the hospital or maybe they didn't make it to their appointment. And it can have a huge impact by me just picking up that nail on the side of the road if I happen to see it. Yeah, you know, that's that's kind of conceptually what the thought is. And that's yeah. a component of what the Delta theorem is all about. No, I love that. I, I'm familiar with that, not just with the term, but the idea behind it. And I, and I love that about what you explained, because it goes back to what I like to talk about as well and think is the idea that we don't have to always think about these massive goals, like let's say save the planet from 
pollution or global warming, but rather we can look inwards more and say, okay, if I make my own life a bit better, the ripple effect you just referred to, the butterfly effect, will then, as a result, make the life of those around me slightly right. And as a result, it keeps going and going from that. That's right. So it that's all starts right. with us, right? That's what, that's how, what I believe in, and it sounds like that's what you talk about as well. That's right. Well, listen, I, 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 we haven't talked about this, but I have to believe that your podcast is all about that. It's a butterfly effect. You are trying to create a ripple in people's lives so that it can you know, be viral. Not that the podcast necessarily goes viral, but that it can be viral and have a huge impact on, you know, on our culture, on our people, on ourselves. So yeah, for sure. That's what it's all Absolutely. about. Absolutely. Yeah. No. And I love that because too many people these days, too many gurus or experts like to talk about more than just the individual, right? Like impacting others before you really do the work on yourself. And I tried that for many years when I was trying to do a lot externally and not a lot inwards. And you find a lot of emptiness, but you also find something you talked about earlier. You didn't necessarily earn the right to help others or give out. And it's not, I'm not saying think of it as a right, but more like maybe the experience, the knowledge. Yeah. Because at one point, you just become someone that has something, and then you're advising someone else on something you read versus something you actually did yeah. and overcame. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. You know, we're, we're there's a little bit of sidelight on here, but, you know, the, the big rage right now is AI, right? Artificial intelligence, big rage, for sure. And for good reason. Like, I don't know that much about it, quite frankly, but I, you know, look, you can all, doesn't take a genius to figure out that this is a significant kind of thing. And what I like to say is that, there is going to be a, a distinction always between AI and AE. And what I think of is AI will be great in terms of mining the data and AE is actual experience. That is something that only the human being can do, right? That's what you're talking about. It's like, you know, where we have actual experience, AE, to bring to the table, to share with others and connect with others that, you know, AI will not ever be able to, you know, capture because, you know, it's, it's, it's not human. <laughs> and I love what you said that. And I should preface this in my daily life. I work with AI all the time. Yep. In my professional life, I'm specializing in AI working for Microsoft. So yeah. I talk about AI every day. People are asking me questions about it every day. But one of the biggest questions people always ask is, is AI going to replace us humans? Is AI going to take jobs away? And sure, some jobs will be yeah. going away. Yes. But what AI does for people, which relates to the AE, is that in my life, for example, it takes away mundane tasks so I can focus on that AE part you mentioned. Right, right. Experience. Because if I have five minutes more a day, half an hour more a day, an hour more a day, that means I can have two more calls. I can do one more podcast. I can make a couple more social media posts what I'm sharing my knowledge. Or maybe I'll take that extra hour and spend it with my kids and my wife, yeah, my dogs, whatever the case might be. But it's time for you and however you want to do it with purpose on purpose, right? And I think that's what the beauty is. And when people reframe that from something that may be negative to say, okay, how can I make it work for me? So then we can use the other parts of me to give back. Oof. The world will change. I, I agree. I, I, I really do. I, I agree. But, you know, again... I, you know, the concern and you're in it, you know, I, I'm a, yeah, I'm a total novice on side of this kind of stuff is that, you know, 
we need people that are intentional about purpose, right? We can't have it that it frees up all this time. And then what are we doing with that time? And we're not focusing on what our purpose is, you know? So that's why, you know, with purpose on purpose inside of, you know, the time that we have available to us because technology advances have allowed that to be the case is, is really, you know, I think kind of a critical thing. Absolutely. And AI is just one part of the puzzle, right? There's more of that, more than that. But actual experience piece is so, so critical. Yeah. And what I find in today's day and age, and I felt prey to this a lot throughout my life, it's very easy to keep giving your power away to others externally and start reading too much or listening to things too much or yeah. watching too much and thinking you know everything. But without putting the practice in, you can't really know that. And likely, based on everything I've seen in my life, unless I practice something, it's very hard to become good at it just right. by reading about it or just by listening to it. Yeah. 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 Totally agree. Totally agree. What were some of your biggest takeaways from writing a book? Like, has the process taught you or gave you some aha moments that you didn't realize before? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of them. You know, sitting down at at a computer with a blank screen in front of you and like trying to get that first word out is 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 hard handing your manuscript to your wife and having her you know read it as your first editor and like kind of wonder oh i hope she likes this you know because i put a lot of heart into this kind of thing is is really really hard you know the whole process of getting the book published and 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 figuring out all the, all of the the business side of things is you know it was a challenge, you know for me, I I I wanted that challenge. I mean, that's where you know I I had a very successful run in my business career, and and it was now time to give back, and that give back I knew required me to do things that. I had not done before, like write a book, like navigate, you know, social media, like, like a lot of various things, but I embraced that as, as part of the challenge. Cause I did feel like my understanding of what my purpose is, which by the way, is to inspire people to come alive. That's yeah. what my purpose is. I want to inspire people to come fully alive. When I looked at that as my purpose, I realized that it's not just going to happen. I'm going to have to do the work to be able to, to make that happen. So, you know, there was a lot of research that I did. You know, this book took me many years to do. It took me a year to write, but it took me, you know, 10 years of just thinking about and 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 saving things to, you know, the the notes, you know, the notes app and then saving it to Notion and then saving it to, you know, another notes thing and then realizing, wait a minute, I didn't have one notes thing. I got to like get them from all these different places and organize it. I mean, it was just, it was pretty amazing. And, you know, there's no, it, it wasn't like somebody just sat me down 10 years ago and said, this is the process by which you do it. I, I didn't know that I would write a book at that point in time. I was just capturing things that were of interest to me. And, and ultimately it landed in, in what I put together. Yeah, amazing, amazing stuff. And so many of those parts that you mentioned can apply to many aspects of life. That's right. And I love how it touches on, again, the purpose, right? Because you're following your purpose, what you believe your purpose is, and you're getting to the end result. And that applies to every, everyone listening to this. If you know your purpose, you got to put in the work together. Be it to write a book to inspire others or 
to work in your corporate life or whatever other job or adventure in life you may have awaiting for you. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Listen, you know, we only talked about it and we've been focusing on the purpose side of stuff, which, you know, is, is a lot of that is, is pretty theoretical, if you will. Like, you know, it's, it's, it is very important, but it's aspirational. A lot of times I, you know, inside of the book, I talk about how do you convert that aspirational into actual work, you know, effort, you know, we can, we can come up with our purpose and then it nicely sits up on, on a shelf somewhere, unless we activate it by actually doing things. You know, I can say that my purpose is to inspire aliveness, but until I put pen to paper, which is activating that, you know, it, it will do nothing at all. So I, I think that's a very critical, you know, component of moving what I call from, you know, things from our, our, our head to our heart. Purpose is maybe up in our head. Heart is where the action actually takes place. And so, again, I talk about that at length inside, you know, the Delta Theorem and encourage people along those lines. Yeah, absolutely. So let's, let's see if we can dive into that a bit more, maybe get the high-level view of your approach or your suggestions. How do you see people traditionally going from the, the head to the heart, like you said, from this idea to actually implementing it? Like, what are some of the critical steps? Yeah, I think that, that first, you know, let's talk about the head because it is important. As I said earlier, we talk, but if I ask somebody what your purpose is, you know, I get this, I have no idea. So I don't start there because it's too hard. It's too overwhelming. What I start with, and this is part of the Delta Theorem, is I start with three, three Ps. The first P is priorities. The second P is principles. And the third P is passion. So what I say to you is I say, you know, Constantine, tell me, what are your priorities? I don't know. Well, are you married? Yes. Do you have a job? Yes. Do you have kids? Yes. Do you, you know, I can tease out from you what the things are most important. That's what priorities are. They're not prioritization. They're not task list things. There are those things that you find in your life stage that are most important. Okay, so we can establish those things. Then I say to you, tell me what you stand for. What are the principles by which you absolutely stand for? It could be something as simple as, you know, I don't lie. I don't cheat. You know, these kinds of things. But establishing those principles upon which you stand are very important. And then finally, if I say to you, tell me what you just love to do. What is, makes your hair on fire? And you'll say, well, I, I love to, you know, whatever the case is. I don't know. If you look at those three Ps, number one, they're more accessible to us. And number two, when you tie them all together, what happens is they become the foundation for your purpose. Because if you start to look at what your priorities, your principles, and your passion are, you can then start to see what your purpose likely can be. And by the way, because priorities change. Once I was single, now I'm married. That's a change in priorities. Your purpose can change over time too. So this whole concept of optionality comes off the table, right? That's a component of what I write about in the book of let's look at your priorities. Let's look at your principles. Let's look at your passion. And then let's 
then figure out what it is that you feel like your purpose is. All right, all that theoretical. The next component of this is effort. What am I going to do about these particular things? And in my coaching, that's where I will set up training plans for people. Listen, this is what you think your purpose is. What do we need to do inside there? By the way, this is something that's just so critical. Most times we want to sprint in terms of getting to our purpose. And you can't do that. You really have to have this concept of crawl, walk, run. As infants, we crawled and then we walked and then we ran. So effort and action and activate and training plans and holding people accountable around these things is crawl, walk, run. All right, what do you need to do to do this? I, I might say to you that I, I want to do a TED Talk because I think that if I do a TED Talk, I can inspire people to come alive. Great. Do you think I'm going to be able to start? That's running. That's sprinting inside of this process, right? Instead, what I can do is, is refine my craft. I can get on podcasts. I can, you know, make a phone call. I mean, start out with small things like that that are there. Finally, there is a concept that I include in the book, and that is failure. It's not a new concept, but here's <laughs> where it is important is that you've got your purpose, you've got your effort, but in order to do that, you have to risk. And when you risk, you risk failure. And what can happen here is that failure can really knock us out or we can learn from our failure. So the Delta theorem actually looks like this. Alpha over P cubed by EF squared equals Delta. That's where I said it was a math equation. Alpha is purpose. It's your primary thing. It's the first letter in the Greek alphabet. So it represents a person's purpose. It sits on top of a foundation of P cubed, which is principles, priorities, and passion. It's supercharged, multiplied, or supercharged by effort and the learning that comes from failure. And what I said was it's F squared because interestingly enough in math, when you square a negative, it becomes a positive. Yes. And usually we view failure as negatives in our life. But if you square it up by learning from it, then it becomes a positive. That all of that together equals delta. And again, in the world of math, delta is the symbol for change, for impact, and for what I say is making a difference. So... My Delta theorem is a framework to help you basically come alive and make a difference and have an impact. And that's what that is, you know, all about and pieced together inside of, you know, the book and what I wrote about. Wow. Amazing stuff, Brad. And I have a math background, so I love the idea of using a math formula to describe life essentially, right? And describe how we could... Uh, lead life. Love that. Love that. And I, and I love the way you look at this, right? From the theoretical to the practical aspect of it. And what have you seen as results from people you've worked with, either people in your own life or clients that came to you? How resistant are people to make such big changes or embark on such big changes? Yeah. 
Yeah, a great question. And thank you for asking that because look at, you know, this can all sound great on paper, but you know, if it's not proven out in the, in the, in the world, then it's no good, you know, at all clients that I have worked with, they're just not really, they, they came into it unprepared to really touch on these, you know, areas of purpose and stuff. And so I'll give you a, for instance, one of the exercises that I do inside this was I asked somebody to write their eulogy. write your eulogy. And they're like, wait, what? Why? You know, I'm, no, I'm too scared of death or whatever. No, 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 no. Write your eulogy. And the reason is, is that if you write your eulogy, you basically put out there a future value for you, right? This is what people are, I want people to say about me. And then you present value it back to today. And I ask the question, Are you doing things that support what that future value is? All right. So to answer your question, I had a client, young guy, you know, he wrote this unbelievably beautiful eulogy. And it was, you know, things about how he and his wife supported ministries and, and that they, you know, that he watched his grandchildren, you know, grow up and he was giving back in the community and, you know, these kinds of things. This guy, when he wrote it was, 24 years old and unmarried. Okay. The impact on him on being able to establish now a path forward for himself, which by the way, he, he will have to deviate from that and change and, you know, these kinds of things, but he was able to establish the person that he saw himself as being in the future was transformative for him specifically, right? He was able to make decisions around his career and, and these kinds of things. I had another client that I was working with that, you know, was in the throes of what he described as a great job, but just, it wasn't floating his boat and he was afraid to take risks. And so we worked through things like what were, was his purpose and, you know, what were truly his, his priorities in, in these kinds of things. And when they came to light for him, he realized that what he was doing while important wasn't really the place that he wanted to be. And so he risked by applying at other places, ended up, you know, kind of interviewing inside of things. First of all, didn't get some interviews from places that he thought that he would like to be at, and then ultimately landed in a place where he felt like it was fully supportive of what his purpose, you know, was inside there. On my clients that I had that had all the financial wealth and and what have you, listen, The reality is that they came to me as a wealth manager, but what I did was I chose to develop relationship with them. And as a result of that, what they found was, you know, they still had questions around these kinds of things, but there was more clarity for them because I chose to be in that space that was dealing with things that were the full gambit of wealth, not just the one piece of wealth. You know, it was relational wealth. It was, you know, uh, time wealth and spiritual wealth and, and mental wealth. And what I found was that they were willing to like explore those particular things. And I believe that they were better off as a result of those kinds of things, because at the end of the day, they knew that just the financial wealth itself was not floating their boat enough, right? It just wasn't. And you know, there's tons of studies that show that that's the case. So yes, all of these things, you know, were, were concepts in there. 
I also did something interesting. I read about this in the book is I, I backtested Mahatma Gandhi. Okay. And I said, all right, well, if Delta is making an impact and Gandhi had a, a, a very famous quote that says, be the change you want to see in the world. I thought to myself, well, let's take a look at his life and see if I can kind of backtest the Delta theorem inside there. And what I found was that all those components, priorities, principles, passion, purpose, effort, and failure, because he had lots of failure, all fit within you know, this concept of the Delta theorem. So, you know, I, I, it's a little unfair because I backtested looking for, you know, what I wanted to prove out, but I'd like anyone to prove that it doesn't work. Quite frankly, that's really the question in my mind is why not? Why not explore these things so that you can put yourself in a, in a position to be able to do this. Amazing stuff then, Brad, as always, I, I want to touch back on that wealth piece because you mentioned it once before I feel, I feel it's important to touch back on it. And this idea that wealth comes from so many places and society nowadays at least puts a big emphasis on the wealth around money and possessions and all that stuff. But we forget, like you said, that the wealth comes really first from within, but also people around you and things you interact with, nature and other elements. And I personally would argue that if you work on the wealth that's around you, the monetary world will just follow. Yeah. Because it's a byproduct of you having that life. Sure, some people win the lottery and they'll be successful that way. Some people start a business that's going to sell and they're going to make a lot of money. Sure, but how many people do that versus everyone else? So I love that concept because it goes back to the foundation. Find wealth or find gratitude in whatever you have around you. Build up on that. And then the, the simple stuff. When I say simple, I mean, you know, things are not as important like money, resources will start to appear in your life. At least that's what I believe and I've seen in my own life and the life of those around me. Yeah, it, 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 it's true. I, I also, I think it's important for us to be sensitive around a few things inside there, right? I mean, it's very easy for me to talk about purpose and having, you know, a powerful why when I've got food on my table every single night, right? I mean, Maslow's hierarchy of needs starts with like, you know, the most basic kind of survival needs. And there are many people that, you know, they, they can't think about purpose at all because they're just trying to put food on the table. Okay. So, you know, and I address that inside the book because again, it's easy for me to talk about purpose and, and people's going to look at me and say, you know, great, thanks. I mean, it's easy to talk about non-financial wealth when my bills are paid. When somebody is trying to pay their bills, they're only thinking oftentimes about financial wealth. I think it's a little bit like, you know, somewhat short-sighted to a certain degree, but it's a reality that we have to take into account, right? So I think that's an important distinction inside of this. The, the thing that I put forth in the book was this concept, okay? Because remember, I, saw, I talk about coming alive. So how do you tie that all the way through wealth, right? This is what I say. When you come alive, you can't help but make a difference. You cannot help but make a difference. And when you make a difference, you create value. No doubt about it. Difference makers create value. And guess what? Value creators create wealth for themselves, for those around them. 
So it starts with this progression of come alive. How do I come alive? Because then I make a difference. And when I make a difference, boy, do I create value. And when I create value, then wealth, true wealth really comes about because value is not just the financial. Again, value that you create is can be relational value that you're creating, right? It could be the time value, you know, all of these various things. So, you know, that's how I tie this from starting with coming alive and getting all the way true what I call true wealth. It's not just wealth, it's true wealth. You know, the things that all the elements that make up what a real wealthy person is. Yeah. Uh, I love the direction you threw that in and you're absolutely right because for you and I, it could be easy to talk about the purpose and stuff because like you said, we have the food on the table, we have bills paid. But I also like where you took it with exactly what you just said. Once you show value, once you provide value to not just yourself, but those around you, everything else will fall into place. That's right. That's right. Wealth, wealth comes about. And again, I mean, I'm telling you that when you create value, you create financial wealth too. I mean, value creators create financial wealth. That is a direct correlation there. But also value creators, you know, are creating relational wealth and physical wealth. And, you know, it takes intention, but they're definitely components of those wealth as well. Absolutely. And I really like uh, the take. Would I be completely off if I said that most people that find their purpose and honestly line it up with financial wealth and say, this is my goal, will attain it anyway? Because if you're focusing on what is important to you and, and putting in the work, like you said, and creating that value, that will follow. So you don't necessarily have to focus on that financial world. It's just a byproduct to some degree of you putting in the work and providing real value to the world around you. Yeah. I, I, what I like to say is that the Delta theorem, when I say it equals Delta, I don't say that it guarantees that people will make an impact, right? I think it puts us in the best position to where impact can happen, right? I mean, there are no guarantees, even inside of us saying, look at if we put in the work that, you know, this will happen and that kind of stuff. I'd say that you put yourself in the best position for that to happen. But there are times when, wow, I put in, I did all the things, I did all the work and that guy, and it didn't happen for me. You know, listen, I, that's where I say failure and square it up and learn what you did and don't quit and, you know, kind of do what you can do because that's, you know, there is no, there, there, it, life is lived in color, as I said, you know, and so, you know, that's the one distinction I'd say is there are no guarantees, but you put yourself in a really good position to, you know, create all kinds of wealth from that standpoint. Yeah. And uh, I agree with you 100% because it's easy to fall prey to thinking that one formula and one set of tools is going to get you somewhere. That's right. You talked about failure just moments ago. And it's this idea, sometimes you will maybe have too rigid of a purpose. Maybe you didn't spend enough time to work on it, to really understand it. And you're going to run into projects or things you're doing that are going to fail. But then it's our choice. Okay, do I see this as a failure and beat myself up and give up? Or like you said, do I square that now and learn from it and apply right. for my next adventure? So it's like you said earlier, it's like building up on the things you've done and allowing yourself the freedom to expand that purpose and that vision. That's right. That's right. You know, 
and, 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 you know, when I wrote in the book, I did research on these things. I didn't just write, these aren't just my ideas. I, I, I got research and what have you. And, and one of the things around failure that, that was Im- important that a lot of studies showed was that you need to fail fast. Meaning like those who don't learn from their failure quickly don't necessarily learn from their failure, right? So, so if you wallow in your failure and that kind of thing, and you don't try to square it up or learn from it and that kind of thing, you know, you're not going to be in as good a position to learn from it and, and get the benefits from it as, you know, if you, if you die back in, right, get back on that bike, get back on that horse or whatever the case is, but having learned, you know, from it, I think that Michael Jordan, you know, has a, has a great old commercial and it talks about how, you know, he failed, you know, he missed 32,000 shots and he, you know, I mean, and yet here we think of Michael Jordan, rightly so, as, you know, the greatest basketball player alive and look at the number of failures, so-called failures that he experienced. But, you know, he would say, as he did in this commercial, that it was those failures that basically made him a champion as he was. So, you know, failing forward fast is a very important kind of like concept. Yeah, and I like the concept of failing fast. I mean, we use it a lot in the corporate world, right? Right. Try projects, doesn't work, scrape it away, do your lessons learned, move on to the next one. That's right. That's right. And I, I, I find it funny because a lot of times we apply a lot of concepts to the corporate world, but then we forget to bring them back into our, our own life. Isn't that funny? It's right? so funny. It's really, I totally agree with you. You know, one of the things that I I, I, I happened to get an MBA, you know, and 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 I found that, like, I was so glad I did it after I had graduated and worked for a long time because the concepts, I could, like, apply them. You know what I'm saying? And, like, they were applicable to do stuff. And I always kind of scratched my head to say, why are we learning all these things? And we're, we don't do anything with them. They sound so good. And, you know, we don't apply them and what have you. And it was a frustration inside of things. But, you know, I, I chose to 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 not only to apply them, but I also was in a position to where, you know, I, I was able to apply, apply them and, and what have you. Yeah. Yeah. But that, that actually brings up an, a very important point. The idea that, Hey, for me, we have a choice in what we learn and study post our other life, like our teenagehood or we'll go to high school and then maybe university. So we have a choice. So that means we can be very specific to what we study so we can apply it to our life. Yeah. If we study too many things, very few of which we can apply, what benefit does it give you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, people have asked me oftentimes inside, okay, when you wrote the book, you know, where, where did things come from besides just the story of how it kind of came to be? And I said, listen, I, you know, I, I put together this, this formula, if you will, because what I found was that I was reading a number of things, but they were in isolation. Like I might read a book on failure, but it was in somewhat in isolation, or I might read a book on purpose or on priorities, but it was, you know, they didn't really tie it all together. And, and I liked this concept of tying it all together. That was a component stuff. Here's where the danger was. I, I felt and do feel oftentimes that I have too much information and read too many things and not been able to go deep into, you know, like a particular thing. People have said, pick out one author. And if he's got multiple books, he or she has multiple books, like, you know, stick with them because that's where you're going to really go deep and that kind of stuff. And, and I think that there's, you know, there, it, it definitely 
makes me think about those kinds of things, especially in today's day and age, because there's just so much information available to us and, and, and what have you. I'd like to think that this book is one in which somebody will pick it up and they'll read it, you know, a few times that they'll get coached on it, that, you know, they will see what's inside of it and, and want to go deep because it's not just one man's ideas. It's a, it's, it's the pulling of ideas from, from on top of the shoulders of, of giants, quite frankly, you know, many, many people that I, that I reference and quote inside the book are, are, are giants, you know, and, and in both thought and in, in success and in all kinds of different things. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's a beautiful analogy to life as well, right? Some people like to go deep in certain areas. Perfect. But again, I, I believe that those are the minority from what I've seen. Yeah. yeah. And most of us are going a bit more wide. Yeah. But then let's take that and apply it to our life because I got caught like you sometimes, and I'm sure many others where I would jump from personal development to personal development. Right more than self-help book. And I would just read. I wouldn't necessarily apply much. And sometimes you read something that you're like, no, this doesn't make sense. And that's perfectly fine to not apply yeah. anything. But at some points you got to draw the line and say, well, I've read 10 books. How much have I done from those 10 books? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think probably there are seven pages in my book that are the most important. You know what they are? End of chapter questions. End of chapter application questions, because while I write about, you know, all the different components of priorities and how can you find them and what are the dangers of them and, you know, where do they come from and all these various things, it's the end of the chapter that I lay out, you know, seven to eight, nine questions that is like almost a workbook for people to actually do the work uh, and, and, the, and the titles of each one of those end of chapter pages is show up, engage, and do the work. Show up, engage, and do the work. Because I believe that those three components are where, you know, we're taking it from, you know, the head knowledge we talked about and trying to, you know, apply it with heart knowledge. It also, listen, it is so helpful to have somebody go through a book like this with you, right? I mean, it lines up for a coach to be able to coach somebody and, you know, each week go through a certain thing and say, okay, let's talk about this and, and that kind of stuff. Um, and so, you know, that's, that is a significant value add for a book like this. Yeah. And I know that you touched on that because it's the idea that you're not alone again, right? You can do yeah. this together with someone. And it, it could be someone else in your life, maybe your spouse, maybe a friend. That's right. Friends, and how, about, how about parent to child, right? I mean, my dedication of this book is to my daughter, Brooke. I literally you know, set out to write this book so that she could learn, you know, how it was to be able to think about these various things. Cause I wanted her to, you know, have a framework to be able to navigate through, you know, and put herself in the best position to, you know, make a difference. And so, yeah, a parent child, this is perfect for, yeah. um, Maybe not spouse. Sometimes spouses don't like to listen to each other inside some of these things. <laughs> but uh, you know what? I'm, I'm also thinking like book clubs in a work environment. For right? sure. There are quite a few teams that like to read a book together and then act on it. That's right. Well, you know, I dis what I've described also sounds like, and I even said this earlier, that it's, it's for the individual. No, it's not. I mean, you think about a business situation. Priorities are a company's, you know, core values or principles are, you know, core values. And 
And passion is their product. And purpose is their mission statement. And effort is, you know, their what they do in terms of operations. And failure is failure. Like this framework, it works in the business setting to get teams to work together because what it does is it brings clarity for teams to be able to understand what it is we're trying to do, what how are we trying to make an, imp- an impact? Because that's really at the end of the day, that's what businesses are about. Again, we talked about creating value that creates wealth. Exactly. Companies create value inside of these things. And so, you know, this framework is not just for the individual, it's for collective people in the business setting to be able to use as well. I would argue that's the collective groups anywhere, not just business, I would imagine, yep. because agreed from one person to more. Yeah, it sounds Sounds amazing and definitely something that I would encourage our audience to look into and see if they can pick a couple of pieces that resonate with their life and apply it because that's, that's right. what it comes down to. Yep, it's exactly correct. Oh, wow, it's been an amazing conversation, but I want to thank you so much for taking time to chat with us. But let me ask you this. I want to ask you a question. You say you started thinking about the book about 10 years ago. If you could go back in time now to that time before you started really thinking about the book and writing down and you can give yourself some piece of advice, one or more, what would you tell yourself? Wow. That is a, that is a really big question. And it's a, it's a terrific question. I think that as I, I look back on, on this, I think that what I would have wished that I had learned prior to was that Worrying so much about things like financial wealth alone and not really understanding all of the pieces that come together inside of wealth. Um, I wish somebody would have shown me that early on in my life because, you know, to a great extent, some of the efforts that were that were put into things was to try to, you know, have success from that financial standpoint. And 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 i i'm competitive i think i still would pursue the ring if you will but i would have had you know a different in thought process relational wealth with you know my wife or you know my daughter and 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 that you know kind of thing or just time i you know physical health is so critical right and so just being physically fit listen and and physically fit is not about like being a big workout person. I mean, the physical health has to do with things like how well you sleep or how you hydrate or fuel your body. You know, if I show up the next day to the office and I'm trying to chase the ring of financial success, but I didn't sleep that night before. I, I'm actually probably not in as good a position to be able to create that value as I was before. So it was things like that to understand, you know, components like that. that I wish somebody had shown me those things, you know, in advance. I, I learned them over time. Very grateful that that was the case. Yeah, and I love that you pick, uh, pick the one thing that's a pretty flexible variable that change, changes over time, which is priorities, because that's what yeah. you were referring to. That's right. And that's a good reminder for all of us, the audience and myself included, to maybe revisit our priorities and say, are these aligned with who I want to be? That's right. 
Yeah, I, I could not agree with you more. I mean, as I said, those three P's are so important to see that they're aligned, right? I mean, there's nothing worse than to have a value, a principle that you have, and then you don't live up to it, right? Yeah. I mean, you don't live up to it. Guess what? Guess who you're looking at in the mirror every single night and morning? Yourself. And when you're looking and you're feeling like you don't have integrity inside of that principle because you know, you're, 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 you're chasing after, you know, no, that just doesn't work, but making sure that that principle lines up with your priorities. I, I live in Los Angeles. Okay. So many people are chasing the dream of Hollywood here. I mean, they just are. And, and it's one of these things where, you know, priorities, or I should say passion is for them to be, have a creative career or that kind of stuff. But their priorities are, is that they have a family and it's not supporting that family. And, you know, they're going down a path where their passion is so overwhelming that their priorities are getting, you know, they're not in line with that kind of stuff. So, you know, really working on aligning all three of those P's is, is really critical. And then, of course, then your purpose starts to uh, unveil itself. So, sure. yes, priorities yeah. is critical. Absolutely. I love that. Well, thank you, Brad. What it's been we- great. It's been <laughs> great. Really great. I loved every single second of it. Let me ask you this. Let's tell the audience where, hey, where can they find the book? But if they want to read more about you or work with you, where can they find you? Yeah. So you can find it on Amazon. It's called the Delta Theorem. It is, it's, it's, I launched it in the middle of May and, you know, I hit number one hot new release on Amazon and it's a bestseller. So, you know, I'm just thankful for those kinds of things. It's great. Uh, In terms of where they can find me, uh, I'm I'm on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. You know, those are places. Just Brett Magpiong. You can also uh, uh, go to www.deltatheorem.com, and there's a book landing page, and it's got you know references to where you can get in contact with me. Awesome, Brett. Now, before I let you go, is there anything else that you can think of that you want to share with the audience that maybe we haven't touched on? I know we've touched on so much. Yeah. I- if I can tell a story, if you don't mind, mm-hmm. I think it's an important kind of like thing. It at least is for me. You know, when I, when I graduated college, I, I had about six weeks in the summer before I started in my, my job and I borrowed some money cause I really didn't have any money. And, and I, I got a backpack, a sleeping bag, a Eurail pass, and I used my hitchhiker's thumb and I went to Europe. And traveled around, you know, slept in hostels and, you know, just, just budget as you could possibly imagine. Well, it happened that on one of my excursions, I landed in Florence, Italy. And I, you know, listen, I told you I'm more of jock athletic kind of minded person. I wasn't that big into the arts, but I did go to museums while I was there because there's just great artists there. In this particular museum in Florence, Italy, what I found was various statues of the Renaissance artist Michelangelo. And the layout was the most important thing because here's what it was. As you went down this hallway, there were four blocks of marble that were called the unfinished works of Michelangelo because they're literally unfinished works. They're a block of marble with an arm coming out of it, or another one has got a torso coming out of it. But what it looks like is these perfect people that are trying to escape 
their prison of the stone. They're actually called the prisoners. That's the name of these four blocks of marble. And the way that they've curated this museum is that as you turn a corner, at the end of this other hallway is the statue of the David. And the David is the most spectacular thing you've ever seen. I, I'm just telling you, it was uh, incredible. 14 feet tall, absolutely overwhelming. It's just gorgeous and your breath is taken away. Years later, I thought about that. And I thought about that lineup. And I thought to myself, that's very much what life feels like. That we start off as blocks of marble. You know, some maybe blemished. You know, and as things get chipped away and teachers or parents or coaches or whatever help to chip away and help us to, you know, come free from our blocks, ultimately what happens is, is that the splendor of who we are can reveal itself. And that's the splendor of the David, right? And so that's what I mean by coming alive. That, that thing that we are, we know, we know is inside of us. And us endeavoring to chip away some of these things so that the world can experience who we are, right? Yeah. Who we are in, in our splendor. And I say that with humility. I don't want to think that people like, you know, oh, we're just all, you know, glorious splendor. No, no, no. There's a lot of work that goes into there. But when you're fully revealed and you're fully alive, you definitely make a difference. And when you make a difference, you create value. And when you create value, wealth is a result that's, that comes from there. So, you know, it's just an analogy of what I mean by, you know, this concept of come fully alive inside of that. Such a powerful message and analogy to end with. I want to thank you for sharing that. Brilliant. Thank you again, Brett. And thank you to the audience for sticking with us. And please go check out the book and check out Brett's website and social media and find out more about him. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I, I really just enjoyed this entire conversation. Likewise, thank you. Thank you so much for being with us today. To find out more amazing content and episodes, please visit unleashthyself.com or you can find us on social media.